We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. This is our first post-game show of the season. If you guys are new here, I'm your host, Max Torres. That's Mark Wang. He is one of our new writers over at Ducks Digest, and he's uh, making his debut here on the Ducks Dish podcast. And boy, do we have a game to get into, Mark, uh, as the Ducks get absolutely dominated to open up the 2022 season, losing to Georgia 49-3. to um, Mark, just starting things off, dude. I mean, just welcome to the show. Welcome to the team, first of all. But, but how are you doing? How are you feeling after this one? Thanks, Max. Glad to glad to be on the team. Glad to be doing some more writing, getting the Oregon beat going. Um, that game was rough. Uh, kind of like what you and I were talking about just a few minutes ago. Um, that's probably the roughest football game I've ever seen. And I went to the Red Box Bowl, and that was terrible. So I think to one up to be able to one up the Red Box Bowl is is another thing entirely. So that game was just that was brutal. Yeah, it was it was definitely a brutal game. Uh, you know, it, it felt like Oregon had a chance, you know, early, and then and as the game went on, um, you know, kind of just got more out of hand. I mean, at, at the end of the first quarter, Mark, it was it was seven nothing. Like that that game was was well within reach for Oregon after one. Um, but to a degree, I think that's kind of how some people saw it playing out. That's kind of how I saw it playing out a little bit. I know my official prediction was 35-24 Georgia, so I'll be the first to admit that I was way off there. Um, but I did think that Oregon was going to be able to keep it close. Uh, ended up going into the half down 28-3, to and and that's when you saw the uh, the Falcons Super Bowl score memes start to uh, start to appear on, on Twitter and, and social media. Um, but obviously that wasn't the case. Oregon dug themselves into a hole and, and really ultimately weren't able to get themselves out of it. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it feels like it's, it's only up from here. Uh, if you're looking at this from an Oregon perspective and, and, uh, kind of what lies ahead the rest of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, going into this game, I also was kind of among the same mindset where it's like, this game is going to be close. Oregon, I think, is going to keep it really close. You know, Dan Lanning, knowing that team as well as he does, as as well as he does, um, he would be able to keep it close. And then Georgia would kind of turn on the burners in the second half because um, Kirby Smart would be able to make those adjustments when he needed to, those adjustments when he needed to. But then 
yeah, I saw the seven nothing the seven nothing score. I thought Oregon still had a chance at the beginning of that that first half, but still those two big interceptions by bone by bone necks really should have been four by the end of the day. We'll probably talk about that later. Um and then just seeing Oregon, yeah, just digging themselves into the hole. And unfortunately, Bo Nix is not Tom Brady. He is not going to come back from twenty-five from twenty-five down against the Georgia team to beat them in a in at this point, what is and probably what still will be Oregon's biggest game of the of the year, a chance for them to really make a statement early. Maybe not necessarily beating Georgia, but at least um, giving them a good run, giving them a good run, and it ends up being forty-nine to three. It's like that's ridiculous. It's about as tough a game as you can ask for uh, from a, a litmus test uh, perspective, right? Just new team, new quarterback, totally new coaching staff. There were just a lot of factors that were not in Oregon's favor to, to start this game off. So um, I think that a lot of people, we're going to talk about Bo Nix here in, in, a, in a second, but I feel like in general, I think there were a lot of people that are going to be making too much of just one game. Um, and that could definitely be a broad perspective that we can peel back a little bit more uh, this show. Uh, but just a quick note before we really dive in here, Mark. Um, I said on the last show, and it's kind of a similar deal. It's it's pretty hot right now, uh, you know, what West Coast heat wave. So I do have my fan going off screen. So what I'm going to try to do is, is mute myself when I'm not talking. So we can hopefully preserve some some good audio quality. Um, and then the other uh, other note is uh, we, we seem to have some pretty good uh, turnout right now in the live chat. So uh, Duck fans, Georgia fans, whoever's here, let me know how you're feeling after seeing this game. If you need to vent, if you need to rant or rage, throw it in the comment section uh, and, and you know see what other people have to say. And, and if uh, you have an interesting point or a question, we'll uh, maybe we'll pop it up here uh, on the screen. And, and remember, you can always use the Super Chat function if you uh want to get your question prioritized so i just wanted to throw that out there and um yeah how about we start with uh with bo nix and and talk about his his oregon debut uh final numbers from this one for bo nix bo nix was 21 of 37 for 173 yards no touchdowns and two interceptions uh with a 57 percent completion percentage and a qbr of 85.2 so not a solid debut for, for Knicks. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, obviously, anytime you don't find the end zone, that's tough. That's something that – that was one of the big takeaways from this game. Oregon doesn't score a touchdown for the first time since 2017, uh, which is nuts. And then uh, the, the two interceptions that Knicks threw uh, obviously didn't do a whole lot to help him out. Absolutely, yeah. Those two interceptions, especially that first one. That first one – on that first on that first drive was an absolute drive killer for Oregon. Oregon's driving down the field. They were at about, I want to say the 15, if I remember correctly. And then Bonix just throws that huge interception. And it was like and it's like, well, that's not good. That's a drive, that's a drive killer, but I didn't think it was gonna end up being as bad as it as it was. And you know, you're right, Max. We can't really look at this on one as just on my really of the whole season, just because, yeah, it is that first game. Totally new coaching staff, a lot of new players, including a new quarterback. So Oregon does have a lot to go up from here, but I think if you're if you're looking for uh, if you're looking at kind of the the larger spread, 
the larger spread kind of thing is like if you're if Oregon's looking to like to say it's like oh we can play against the good team the good teams across the country it's like uh, I wouldn't exactly say that because look what just happened against Georgia. Yeah, and, and that first interception, I feel like I'm a little bit back and forth on it because on the one hand, it seemed like it was a little late to make that throw. And then on another hand, I feel like at a certain point, you got to just give Mal- Malachi Starks uh, some, some props because that was a phenomenal play. Um, you know, just really went and made a play on the ball as he was falling back. Um, but the the second one, the, the late pass over the middle that I believe was intended for Patrick Herbert, that was just a bad decision. Um, and, and I think that that was an example of, you know, some of what Kenny Dillingham talked about in the spring about not wanting to make a bad play worse. Uh, and, and that's kind of what ultimately happened there uh, on that play. Uh, he has the ability to, to improvise, extend plays and, and scramble. Um, but if, if you get yourself into a sticky situation, sometimes you just got to know when to throw it away. And, and to his credit, uh, even though it was a rough performance, there were some plays where he did throw it away and he didn't try to you know, get too cute with it. But I think at the end of the day, you don't score a touchdown for the first time since 2017. Uh, the offense, you know, just struggled to get momentum going. People are going to want to harp on, on those interceptions because when those two interceptions happened in the first half, I believe it was, it was two interceptions and 14 points off of turnovers for Georgia. And the best teams in the sport, don't turn the ball over the best teams in the sport turn turnovers into points. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday. Yep. Absolutely. Just seeing that, see, seeing them just give the, give the ball away and then not being able to try and stop that Georgia, that Georgia defense or that Georgia offense and that Georgia offense ran absolute circles around Oregon, all day, Oregon all day. Um, and yeah, looking at those two interceptions, yeah, that first one, um, which I've been seeing was that that uh, deep bomb that was just the the cr- the crazy play by Malachi, and then that second one was uh was on that was the drive killer. But that first one was yeah, that was an amazing seeing that amazing play. Uh, I was like, dang, that hurt. Got to give this guy credit though. That was a really nice inter- interception. But yeah, just those tur- those two turnovers and kind of like also like i mentioned earlier it should have been four like there were two more pick or passes at the very least that bonix threw that were like you're lucky those didn't get uh inter you're lucky those didn't get intercepted yeah i remember watching some of those uh myself during that game thinking wow that could have that was a risky throw or that could have been uh you know, a lot worse than it was, you know, just being an incompletion or, or a short game, what have you. But I think one of the nice things is that I feel like we did see some deep shots in this game, even though they, they ultimately weren't converted. Um, let me see with, with Nick's um, I'm trying to see what his longest pass of the day was here. Um, I'm looking at the, at the advanced stats. Um, let's see. It looks like his, Deepest pass was uh, 22 yards, I think. Um, maybe I'm not looking at that just right. Um, but but either way, I think that was a, a positive that we can take away from the game uh, is that they were, they were able to, to push the ball down the field a little bit or at least attempt to because I think that was part of the frustration last year 
with Anthony Brown and, and the offense that was uh, hindered by Mario Cristobal or limited by Mario Cristobal, whatever word you want to use, is that not only were they not pushing the ball and, and stretching the field vertically, it felt like they weren't even trying. Like they, they just weren't calling the plays for it. They weren't making those attempts. And I think that's what contributed to a lot of frustration that fans were feeling last year is because they just didn't even get a chance to to see these playmakers have you know the opportunity to, to make a play on the ball. Uh, and I think we saw that a couple times with Seven McGee, with, with Dante Thornton. Uh, I know Chase Coda almost had that big grab uh, deep over the middle, but um, you know he, he got uh, he got hit on that, and it was a little bit of a late throw. The ball the ball wasn't there at the, at the right time, so uh, I'm I'm not trying to to say you know Bo Nix had a great game. I'm just saying that there are some. I'm trying to peel back the layers a little bit and, and dissect this a little bit more in terms of what we saw from the offense as a whole. Maybe getting a little bit more into the play calling. Absolutely, yeah, like. Um... Lanning and Dillingham did not call their did not call a great game by any stretch of the by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think um, I'll give credit uh, to Dillingham though for at least trying to open it up a bit more and throw the ball out. Um, Max, as you know, and probably as a lot of the people watching is know, the last few years definitely for Oregon we've seen a lot more of a run heavy offense and hearing a lot of the takes of saying like Chris, that crystal ball almost wasted Justin Herbert, Anthony, Brown, Anthony Brown, um, and that arms and that arm strength. And just now seeing, and just being able to see that now is good, but also just the fact that it wasn't able to be cap to be capitalized on. Like we said, we did have those cup or Oregon did have those couple of big, of big throws and those big attempts. Um, but just seeing, but just seeing that, and seeing those just not be able to be converted was just was were those were drive killers for Oregon, especially the one that you mentioned where the guy got where the guy got nailed uh, on the play. I remember seeing that. I'm like, dang, that was a nasty, hit. Like, that was a nasty hit, and I don't, I can't necessarily really blame him for not being able to hang on to the ball at that moment just because of that hit, because of that hit. But still, like. Oregon showed some of the flashes, but they weren't able to capitalize. And that was, I think, the biggest the biggest loss for Oregon is the fact that you're not able to capitalize on big plays. Yeah, and, and I think that I'm seeing some of the comments here echoing a similar sentiment in the live chat is that they, Oregon was able to move the ball at times, but they weren't ultimately able to finish, which is what really kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth, a sour taste in your mouth. Um, and I think you could kind of say the same thing a little bit about the defense. Uh, we don't have to get into that yet, but just as far as finishing plays, you know, for offense, it's about converting, uh, keeping drives alive. Uh, I feel like most of the time that they were showing the third down conversion percentage, you know, Georgia was like perfect for like 80% of the game. And yeah. then every time they showed Oregon's, it was kind of better than I thought it was going to be. So like they, they did an okay job, I think, sustaining drives even though there wasn't anything like overly impressive as far as like really, you know, super explosive plays, making guys miss. Um, sorry. So you had, you had something you wanted to say there on that note, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it was at one point they were perfect nine for nine until towards the end of the game. I think it was the fourth quarter when they finally had to punt for the first time. That was like the first time they had, they had um, not converted a third down. And at that point, it was like nine of ten. It was nine of ten, but at that point, they have been nine of nine. Um, and then 
yeah, I think George, uh, Oregon had like, I think at one point, like four or five of seven, something like that for third down conversion. So they weren't doing terrible, right? They weren't doing terrible. They were able to get like the short yardage third downs. They just weren't able to further convert that down the field either they would um, go over, go out on downs later or they would have a turnover. And you, you got to you gotta be able to, to finish those drives. Like being able to sustain them, yes, that's good. That's good. But when you're down as much as Oregon was, and at one point, 28 to three at the half, like you got to, you got to convert those. Yeah. And, and just some more, some more numbers that I think kind of give us some context into this Oregon offensive attack tonight. I was talking about kind of explosive plays and, and how we really didn't see that too much, at least from a, an aerial perspective. Uh, there were only two plays of 15 yards or more, which I think is kind of the technical definition of an explosive play. There was a 16-yard pass from Bonix to Marquise Irving out of the backfield, and then there was a 22-yard pass to Troy Franklin uh, that uh, kind of helped Oregon get across midfield. So uh, if we wanted to talk about that, I think that that was definitely something that, that was lacking just – because I, I think that the the offensive line is, is a little tough to evaluate, at least from the passing game, because Bonix wasn't sacked, but it never really felt like he had a lot of time to sit back in the pocket and, and kind of observe and, and make his reads, go through his progressions. And that's something that the broadcast crew was saying, is that I think Bonix needs to use his eyes a little bit more because it feels like he's locking onto his targets way too early whether it be a quick pass or if it's something that he has to let develop a little bit longer for a play that he's trying to push the ball down the field. Um, so in, in that sense, I feel like the Oregon offensive line was a little underwhelming. It, it's good to not have any sacks, but at the same time, it's like, that's the Georgia defensive line. Like I'm not expecting them to just give Bo Nix the entire day to just do whatever he wants, which is kind of what happened with Stetson Bennett on the other end, but we're still talking about the offense. So, Maybe we could talk about that a little bit, just the, the offensive line and, and kind of what we saw from them. Yeah, I remember hearing right before this game, like uh, a lot, a lot of publications saying, "Like this uh, Oregon offensive line has been together for th- has been together for three years. They're a they're a cohesive unit. They know each other well. They're able to gel together, which is I think why you're able to uh, be able to offer that kind of to kind of offer that." That sort of co- that coverage that that pass protection for Bonex. Bonex, he looked comfortable that first drive. He looked comfortable that first drive. I know the broadcasters were saying that that was until he threw that interception. Um, but you're right. He definitely looked like he was struggling going through some of his reads from from what it looked like he was very he was very rushed. Um, even though the offensive line was giving him a lot of time and. Granted, like you said, this is the Georgia, this is the Georgia defensive line. These are guys that are most likely going to be playing in the NFL in the next year, couple of years or so, depending on on where they are, kind of in their college in their college careers. But you need to be. But if you're Oregon, you, but if you're Bonex, you got to be able to, to to go through your reads, to to take the time that the offensive line gives you to be able to put those passes down, get those passes down the field and be able to continue to mark, to matriculate down the field as uh, the late great uh, Hank Graham would have said, and to, um, and to get into the end zone, because like we said, three points, 
no touchdowns. And that's not going to win you football games, especially not against a good team like uh, Georgia. Yeah, and, and I think that, that that was what was crazy about this game from an offensive standpoint is maybe like midway through the third quarter, it, it kind of got to the point where I started asking myself, is Oregon even going to get in the end zone in this game? Uh, and then they had an opportunity to do it down the line. They literally got the ball inside the five, and then they weren't able to do it. Um, but just to just to kind of wrap up on Bokes, I know we've been talking about him a lot. Um, we're probably going to have another show tomorrow is kind of what I'm thinking, like an upon further review type of deal where we like really look at the stats, really look at more of the, the press conferences. But we do have the transcript available uh, thanks to the Oregon Athletic Department of Lane's postgame press conference. And um, he was asked about the quarterback situation. Um, I can just read it uh, just to kind of give you guys the full picture. So a question from the reporter was, Coach, you kept the quarterback competition pretty hush-hush. You go with Bo, you kept him in there the entire time, even as the point spread started to jump away from you. Can you kind of speak to what you saw in camp from Bo and why you kept him in for the entire game today? And then here's Lenning's response. Bo is a leader. I think if you go back and look at our offense, they really moved the ball well. We didn't cap off our drives. Obviously, the turnovers is something we don't want to have, but we moved the ball down the field at times. We just didn't finish drives. You get down to the red area, you have to go score touchdowns, not kick for field goals. We had a couple of chances down there that we didn't capitalize. Bo is going to evaluate himself. We have other quarterbacks on our team that obviously can compete as well, but Bo is our quarterback. Bo did a good job today of handling some adverse situations, but he is also going to figure out how he can improve, uh, how can he improve just like we can as a staff. So I know we're seeing some comments in the live chat about, you know, why didn't Ty Thompson come in or like, why didn't the Ducks make a quarterback change in this one? And, uh, you know, maybe not what Oregon fans necessarily want to hear after a rough showing uh, that, but Dan Lanning basically saying that they're going to stick with it with uh, Bo Nix moving forward. And, and I really don't blame him. It was it was just one game, and it was against the best defense that they're going to face the entire season and a unit that could end up being the very best defense in the entire country, even though they had to replace 8 of 11 starters. Yeah, I think Oregon, fa- Oregon fans uh, should not be calling for, for Bo Nix to get vengeance in favor of Ty Thompson quite yet. Quite yet. If he has another couple bad games like this, maybe, but not quite yet. This is that first game, like you said, against a a defense that is probably one of, if not the best uh, units in the country. Um, I do think that um, I think Bo Nix was kind of right on that that barrier of of staying in, going out. I honestly think if those other two passes that. Probably should have been interceptions or interceptions. I think Lanning would have yanked him uh, to give Ty Thompson a chance to get some some meaningful reps, some meaningful game time and reps in. But I think Bonex just uh, with the with the fact that he is in a new system with a new coach in a first game in a big in a big. Uh, arena and a big in a big arena on a big stage, you know. You're definitely going to have some nerves going in, though. I think it could have been less just due to the fact that he is a veteran quarterback. He is experienced. He's played in the SEC. This was his third time, or no, fourth time playing Georgia, um, and 
and just they got shellat. Like they got shellat. There's no other way to to put it. And we can't, we can't, we as fans and as the media can't completely let Bo Nix off the hook here. But also, it is that first game. I think we're right to to go with the same line of thinking as Dan Lanning that we can give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think if he has another couple of games like that, I think they do need to consider maybe bringing Ty Thompson in. Yeah, so in this game, I feel like they could have, especially with how out of hand it was, I think last year when you had the same situation in the Pac-12 championship game where fans wanted um, Ty Thompson to come in, the the coaching staff could have leaned on the argument, oh, we want to preserve Ty's red shirt. Well, now he's already taken the red shirt. So there, there's even less reason to to not put him in. But I think also just going back to that, like the game was already out of reach, but I think that Ty Thompson is one of those quarterbacks, uh, gifted as he may be, he needs to see the field. He needs to get developed. And he's not going to get developed just by going against people in practice. So I think that I see that point and it makes sense. But at the same time, I mean, how, how do we know? We're never going to know if he started this game or if Jay Butterfield, for that matter, started this game, that the result would have been any different. And and I don't say that to slight either of them, but I just feel like the coaching staff made the most sensible and the safest option, given this is the first game that they're coaching together as a coaching staff. Um, And this is just like last year with Anthony Brown, you know, he was the safe option. So they ended up going with him. Um, So, so yeah, I, I don't I don't want to be overly critical of the of the uh, quarterback position, but I'm I'm definitely going to say that that ty, uh, that Bo Nix, excuse me, di- didn't have the best games. Um, you know, decision making still uh, looks like it, it has uh, some room to grow there, um, and, and I'm going to be curious to see if this competition keeps going uh, throughout the season because I think a lot of the time the quarterback competition. It really just depends on if you're winning. And I think that Oregon can definitely start winning against Eastern Washington next week when their defensive matchup is going to be a whole lot easier and they're going to be at home in Autzen Stadium. Yeah, I think just, I think, yeah, we've seen this a lot with with Oregon the past few years. You know, they've had a number of, of transfer quarterbacks, you know, uh, Anthony Brown, even going back to Vernon Adams after Mariota left. Vernon Adams, Anthony Brown, Dakota Puckrop right before um, Justin Herbert started um, after Puckrop uh, really kind of laid an egg against Washington during Herbert's freshman year. And just like, and yeah, that is that, that safe, uh, that safest option. Um, and the reason we say it's the, the safest option is just because he has the most, ex- the most experience of those quarterbacks is it necessarily good experience against 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 Georgia? No, he went over. He's gone over three against Georgia. But when you've played in the SEC and you've played against those types of opponents, like that is a big that is a big thing. And I agree with you, Max, in the fact that if say they threw in uh, Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, I think they would they would have got smoked. I think even. Even, possibly even worse than, um, or at least, at least the uh, what is it? The tape would not have been as good. The scoreline probably would have been the same about ish, but the tape also would have looked, I think, a lot worse if you were Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson. And that again, that's not a slight against either of them. It's just the fact that you know they haven't played. 
Like, exactly. What, what yeah. experience do they have to draw from? And that's exactly. something that I've said goes back to the last coaching staff and last year's team because they weren't able to put away bad teams and get guys reps that ultimately needed it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like if you don't develop, if you don't develop the guys and you don't put them on the field, even maybe not for maybe meaningful games, like maybe say they put Ty Thompson in at the end of that Georgia game. It's like, wouldn't necessarily be like the most meaningful reps, maybe, maybe not depending on how you look at that, but also that's reps against a good defense on a national stage with a lot of eyes on you. And that can kind of give you that, that taste, that feeling of being like, okay, this is what it's like uh, on these biggest stage stages. If I want to be able to play more at these, I got to be able to rise to the occasion more and really put in that work and the work that you put at the beginning at with those first couple of games, like really can set that foundation. Yeah. And, and they do need to set the foundation. It's, it's not off to a good start, but uh, like we've been harping on, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. This was a super tough matchup. Um, but I want to wrap up with a couple more thoughts on the offense before we talk about the defense and just kind of some bigger takeaways from today's Oregon loss to Georgia. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the offensive line. There was that one clip that was going viral of Jalen Carter um, just manhandling Sala on that one play. Um, and I think it's the point I want to make with that is as experienced as Oregon's offensive line is, like you just saw that you were super outmanned physically by uh by georgia uh in in some instances i don't want to say overall for the whole game but uh but let's see what they're overall they they average four and a half yards a carry which isn't awful um but i think that most people expected a better showing from the offensive line um jackson powers johnson wasn't available today that's another thing that that we should note. uh he wasn't a starter on the offensive line he's still listed as a offensive lineman defensive lineman but we also saw uh marcus harper the second come in today i know there was a, a comment uh earlier today about uh sorry earlier in the stream rather uh about ryan walk uh not being seen at left guard during uh, various points of the game so marcus harper did come in and play some left guard um so th- th- it's a it's a good thing that they didn't have any sacks but at times i think that was because bo nix was able to kind of scamper away and, and evade the defense um but overall that's good um and um and i think that it's the matchups are only going to get easier for the Oregon offensive line moving forward so that's the point i wanted to say and then we also have to talk about the running backs yeah that offensive line uh like we said earlier like that's a group that's been together for a while like that's a good thing that you're not able to allow any sack any sacks yeah but still yeah you got they got manhandled by that Georgia defensive line. And again, that's because Georgia is a top-ranked team. They're the defending national champions for a reason. Uh, granted, they lost, what was it, like 15 people on that defense? Uh, 15, 11 people on that defense? It, it, you, can't, like, you can't expect to have like a perfect game against that kind of a defense. But still, yeah, you got to be able to... They got to be able to step up when it not when it matters and when you need and when you need to really buckle down i think that this does kind of let a bit of a fire under them though uh heading in towards their last two non-conference games against 
Eastern Washington, BYU respectively, before heading into Pac-12 play. And then just to get into the running backs here, I think one of the interesting things from this game is that we saw all of Oregon's running backs get carries, all the scholarship backs, I should say. Uh, Sean Dollars, Byron Carwell, Jordan James, the true freshman, Noah Whittington, and Marquise Bucky Irving all touched the ball today, but nobody really had a, a big command. I mean, Jordan James had seven carries, but he finished with 15 yards. Uh, he was kind of just getting the bulk of the carries down the line when it was just super, super ugly. Um, but I thought that Sean Dollars looked pretty good. I mean, from the from a number standpoint, four carries for 33 yards, averaging 8.3 yards a carry. Um, like, so that was good. These numbers aren't like insane. Uh, but 140 total rushing yards, averaging 4.5 yards a pop, uh, 31 carries compared to 37 pass attempts, so relatively balanced from that perspective. But I thought that it was uh, it was interesting to see how many guys got touches, um, seeing that a lot of people thought that Byron Carwell was going to be the you know definitive favorite to, to be the lead back. We saw him actually get utilized in more of a receiving role uh, today, which is something we're not really used to at Oregon. I think last year, whenever they wanted to pass, they were usually more often than not having Travis Dye coming out of the backfield, but Byron Carwell getting used a little bit more in the receiving game and the passing game. I thought that was kind of interesting, but overall it's good to get uh, these guys carries, just see how they do with, with the offense and uh, you know, say what you will about there being no quarterback change, at least amidst this beatdown, you were able to get, a lot of backs, uh, some, some carries, which I think is going to be a good thing in the long run. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like the the running back by committee days of all days of all when you have like all those all those running backs just cycling through cycling through them, giving them all those carries, and just seeing who kind of comes out. And yeah, you're right; there wasn't really a somebody who came out on top, like you said, uh, Jordan uh, Jordan James gets seven carries. In his co- in his college debut uh, against a defense like against a defense like that, maybe not the best productive thing, but hey, that's a heck of a way to start. That's a heck of a way to start, even if it's a little bit. Um, Sean Dollar is getting some of his first like really meaningful play for Oregon. Um, this is kind of on the 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 notes that Oregon uh, gave us for after the game that this was his first time playing since January of. Uh, January second of twenty twenty one, so almost two, so almost two years, um, and it's good to see him on the field and being able to start producing for start producing for the Ducks. It just I think now, as observers, we now have to see like okay, who's going to start emerging as like the top dog for the Oregon Ducks? Um, because I think you probably you need that. Maybe not necessarily that bell cow back, but that that back that can shoulder definitely a lot of the carries, even if you do say have a more of a running back by committee style. Yeah, and Jordan James, I mean that dude's big. Like for a true freshman, that is a big back. I think he's listed at at six foot, uh, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, I'm gonna have to double check the roster, but I'm pretty sure that's what he's listed at. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, okay, five ten, two ten. So still pretty big. Uh, so I, I was encouraged by, by that. I did have a, um, a super chat I wanted to get to. Thanks you, thank you, Christopher, for the super chat. Uh, Christopher says, Max, to help you with your internet. Uh, I do have some new internet, so hopefully it's a little bit better um, and, and it's been consistent for the streams. But he was his question is, what was worse, Bo knowing being Bo No 
or worth Bono being Bono, a bad decision maker, both lines getting pushed around or the terrible tackling. Honestly, I'm going to go with the terrible tackling uh, for as talented of a defense as this was, especially for all the returners that they had in the front seven uh, for, for Lanning being a highly touted defensive coach. I'm not putting all of this on Dan Lanning, although he, he did say that you know he was quick to do the right thing and take the blame uh, as the head coach after this loss. Like th- there was just so many arm tackles, man, or just like, it just, it, it didn't look like it was a fundamentally sound game at all. Uh, guys were getting pushed around out physical, out hustled, uh, which was something that Dan Lanning said before the game, they were going to have to avoid, you know, they were going to have to be the team that was out hustling, tackling on the perimeter. Um, and that was just, you know, they, Georgia was having a field day in the flats and, and on the perimeter uh, especially in the the passing game or, you know, the, the rollout game, the screen game, whatever you have. Uh, so for, for me, I'm going to go with the the faulty tackling. I feel like that was probably the most alarming thing to see. Um, even though it wasn't a great game from Bo Nix, I don't think that, I don't think it was reasonable to have, you know, super high expectations for him to play a very clean game necessarily uh, because of the player that we know he is and the, the history uh, that he has of, of you know not always making the best decisions and then against this really good defense. Uh, what do you say, Mark, on this one? I agree with the bad ta- with the bad tackling. You know that was a thing that I noticed from the very get go that a lot of the Oregon players they're tackling high. They're going for the arms. They're going for the chest. Like you're not going to bring down a big guy like some of these Georgia like a lot of these Georgia players. You're not going to bring down a big guy by going by going high and just trying to like claw him. You got to t- you got to go. You gotta go lower, take him out, take him, take out his legs to stop him from moving. And then also, when uh, Justin Flo, and, and then also you see kind of almost the breakdown in fundamentals when Justin Flo almost had that um, that targeting penalty called against him early in the game. I saw that and I'm like, oh, he's getting tossed. At, at the very first, when I first saw the first angle, it looked like he had run face first into that guy or into the Georgia player, and then seeing a little bit of a different angle you see he hit him more right in the shoulder which was a close call for a close call for Oregon because I think if the flow had gone down or anybody else on that defense had gone down like it would have gotten even worse and that and that saying with a scoreline of 49 to 3 it getting much worse than that is is a bit hard yeah and and I think I mean, if, even if he had gotten tossed from the game, they were they didn't play with him all of last year. So I think they had some guys that they could probably turn to, like a Jackson LaDuke, for example. Uh, but yeah, I think I mean that that roughing the passer call was or was horrible. I mean, he 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 popped him the second he got rid of the ball. So I think I would have rather have seen a unnecessary roughness flag before the roughing the passer call because the second that ball left Bennett's hand flow was right there so i feel like that was soft but um you know it was definitely good that he didn't get ejected i'm not saying that i wanted flow to get ejected i'm just saying uh, if we're talking about targeting versus the rough and the passer i think that was a terrible call on the on the rough and the passer um but we're going to get into some more of the defense now since we've gotten into a lot of the offense but we're going to take a quick break for those of you that are listening to us uh later on on the podcasting platform so uh, stick around. We got more Oregon, Georgia post game breakdown here on the Ducks Dish podcast after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with my guy, Mark Wang, uh, one of the new additions to the Ducks Digest team and uh, a new uh, a new face joining us on the Ducks Dish Podcast. Uh, man, you guys have been awesome in the chat. You guys are just blowing it up. Uh, I'm going to try to get to some of these comments, but we got to make sure that we get into a lot of what we have to say um, since we're shooting for about an hour or so. Talked a lot about that Oregon offense, and, and now we got to get into the defense and I think uh, overall, the the biggest thing, I think the story that you got to get into when you're talking about this Oregon defense is what a day for Stetson Bennett, man. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I, I don't want to hype him up like crazy, but it felt like the dude could do no wrong against Oregon. And a big part of that was because of how talented that Georgia offense was and just how rough of a game this was for that Oregon defense. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That was a rough game for the Oregon defense. Um they didn't get any sacks on Stetson Bennett. Final stat line for Georgia's starter, 25 for 31, 368 passing yards, two touchdowns on 81% completion rating, 201.7 QBR uh, for Stetson Bennett, the former walk-on national championship winning quarterback. Uh, it, it really felt like he was poised even when the plays got crazy. The one time Morgan almost did sack him, he just kept a uh, he just kept a, a level head and he was able to uh, – uh, connect with uh, McConkey for a touchdown, uh, the second one uh, of the day for him. So I think when we're evaluating this defense, uh, you got to start looking at, at Stetson Bennett and just how easy he made it look. Part of that was because there was not very much pass rush from Oregon, which was a big issue against Ohio State last year and a big issue in a lot of the team's biggest games. But another part of it 
you got to give Stetson Bennett credit for getting that ball out in a hurry. Yeah, he, Stetson Bennett looked really good. Looked really good. Um, again, he's might not be necessarily like the best guy, the best guy out there by a lot of the metrics, but he got done when he need when he needed to most. There's a reason why he helped why he helped lead this team to a national championship last year is because he limited he limited the mistakes, didn't get a hit, and put the ball where it need where it needed to be, and just from the get-go, like the biggest difference between him, between uh, Bennett and, and Knicks was the fact that uh, Stetson Bennett did not have mistake, did not make those big mistakes that, that Knicks did. He didn't have those turn, those turnovers, those interceptions. And Bennett played really, really well in his first, in actually his first season opener because they showed it a lot on ESPN. On ESPN. It's like, this guy, this guy had gone from like backing up JT Daniels, uh, Bear, uh, Fields, all those guys. Like he backed them up, and now finally he is getting his chance to to start in a in a big game. And I think he handled himself really well in this game. That deep, like the fact that you have all those weapons on offense helps quite a lot. And then the fact that the defense just got after Oregon also helps a lot. But like he, like Bennett handled himself really well, I think. And yeah, oh sorry, no, you saw a point. Go for it. And if I'm not mistaken, he actually had his career high for uh, for passing yards that the 386 line uh, that you mentioned. Like he, uh, like that was his most that he that he thrown in his career so far, and it's like not bad. Like that just shows you that he's poised. He's He's doing it right. He's doing the right things and not making those mistakes. Yeah, I think Gerard sums it up pretty well here, just in terms of comparing the two performances that we saw from both quarterbacks. I guess there were three quarterbacks in total because Carson Beck got in the game. But Gerard says difference between Bennett and Nick's. Bennett kept a level head, went through his reads, and took what was available. And I think that's a, a really good way to to kind of sum it up because I think that that poise is something that really separated him. And, and that's something that makes him an effective quarterback. Even though when I was writing about him in the preview for this game, I was saying, you know, he's not the most gifted quarterback. He's not a super physically imposing guy, um, you know, like Ty Thompson might be with his arm strength or with his speed or with his athleticism. But George doesn't need him to be because they have dudes on their roster. Um, not to say that Oregon doesn't, but Georgia has more. Um, and, and I think that that goes into what Robin's saying here with another good comment. Robin says, it just shows recruiting is how it's done, and they have been at the top for years, and we are on our way, just need to keep doing what we are doing, and this staff will end up with the best that we have had. Um, and, and that's another reason that Georgia finds themselves in the conversation of, you know, the, the Alabamas, the, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas that can say, we don't rebuild, we reload. And right now, I'm not saying Oregon's rebuilding, but Georgia recruits at a top five level, if not better, year after year. Oregon is still working on cracking the top five. Um, so I think that they have to keep stacking elite classes, and then they also need to get a lot of these underclassmen reps early because there are some guys that that played a lot of important snaps for Georgia today that uh, weren't massive contributors last year, but they played enough to burn their red shirt, and they still got – snaps in a majority of games so i really like this point because i think it sheds light on Oregon's recruiting is doing well 
but it's still not at the level that it needs to be. Um, it, it still needs to keep breaking historic marks because these SEC programs are still pretty far ahead of, of Oregon. Um, and I saw another comment about, you know, the, the bar being set. Like, this is where it's at, both with on-the-field production and then also in the recruiting rankings. So or for, for Oregon to get where they want to be, they have to keep chasing the likes of these Georgias and, and Alabamas and Ohio States, Notre Dames when it comes to recruiting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you see Oregon, like the schools like Oregon, Alabama, even Oklahoma, sometimes, like, these are schools with top five, national recruiting classes every single year and it seems like either like georgia or alabama is either one or two every year and they seem to keep switching constantly basically depending on whoever wins the national championship uh the the year before and oregon has done really good one of the things um that we started seeing after uh Helfrich left the last of those uh those chip kelly the last of the chip kelly guys left is Oregon started bringing in a lot of big recruiters. Say what you want about Taggart. He was touted for being a recruiter. He brought in Cristobal as his assistant, who ended up becoming the next head coach for Oregon. Really good recruiter. There's a reason why we got KT. Why we got KT is because Oregon was able to recruit him really well. And now you've got Lanning, who's also pegged as a very good as a very good recruiter so you have three regimes granted two of them being kind of short-lived and then the other and the third just kind of starting up now it's you now see that Oregon can recruit can recruit and recruit well with these guys coming in from the sec um and now yeah and and now they can build on that it's just the question is how long will that take? Yeah, they got to keep stacking these top classes, but that is a good question. How long will it take until Oregon finds themselves on the levels of these uh, of these big, big-time national contenders? Uh, and I think that the NIL era of college football and college recruiting kind of uh, throws a unique twist in this because you can kind of tell uh, which, which programs are – heavily invested in recruiting and, and I'll just leave it there. I don't want to infer anything else, but I think people know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought this was a really good point. I think one of the positives, if you can draw a positive from the, from the defense is I'm not saying that Oregon shut down the Georgia tight ends by any means, but because La- Lad McConkey was definitely the guy along with McIntosh that was really doing a lot of damage and then Mitchell, but, Brock Bowers, two two receptions for 38 yards. And then uh, Darnell Washington, two receptions for 33 yards. So, I mean, I don't think that I'm looking at this through, oh, Oregon was able to contain – well, they were able to contain Georgia's tight ends, but maybe not for the reason that people think. It was because they had other options that were working so well, like, you know, the, the screen passes or those swing passes out in the flats. They were running the ball really well. Um, and it just feels like they were doing really simple things. Like it wasn't a complicated deal. They just knew they were better, but I feel like that would be one positive that you could try to, you know, take away for all this, from all this. Uh, there were definitely some, you know, bad tackling attempts against Darnell Washington, but he's like six, seven, six, eight. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's what I was saying here, uh, Trello about not necessarily shutting the tight, tight ends down, but they were able to, to get a lot of other guys involved. So 
take it with a grain of salt. Um, I wasn't trying to, to hype it up for more than it was. Um, but I know that that was a big thing for them. Um, as far as just trying to key in on those tight ends and, and not, uh, and not let them do too much damage, but they were able to get a lot of other options going. Yeah. Or yeah, Georgia just kind of kept, they kept their foot on the gas and they didn't let up at all. And they did not let up. They, they kept going and going and they used that deep talent and that deep reserve uh, to just be able to keep drawing and keep go and keep going and not have to utilize maybe necessarily like the things that, maybe like we that everyone thought that they were going to like maybe a lot of people thought that uh they were going to use their tight ends like the whole game but they didn't really have to they were able to go to a lot of other places but their wide receivers uh got on the action since bennett even i think ran in a touchdown uh himself during that game and just georgia did not like georgia didn't necessarily need to just re- rely on one one aspect of their offense they had enough talent to really draw from a lot of these reserves yeah absolutely there was a a super chat i wanted to get to um here um brian thompson asks were there any surprise starters for oregon um uh i i think that maybe one that you could mention was marquise irving um I think after talking to some of the Oregon coaching, uh, you know, some sources at Oregon, uh, I should say um, that that was kind of a little bit of that was kind of what I, I gathered that it was going to be the case uh, that that Marquis Irving was going to get a lot of the snaps that that he was someone that was impressing in, in, in fall camp. Uh, but I kind of that's why I went back to that point about uh, a lot of people thought that Carbo was going to be the runaway favorite. But I don't know if we can necessarily make a determination right now. Um, because um, it's just the first game of the season and so many guys touch the ball. So I think on offense, I'm going to go with maybe Marquise Irving would be somebody. Um, not really a surprise that that Coda started uh, or Troy Franklin. Um, but I think on defense, maybe, maybe you could go with uh, Steve Stevens uh, at safety because they were trying to figure out uh, what they were going to do now that Verone McKinley the third is gone. Bennett Williams is not a shocker, uh, but um, at least on the stat broadcast, they're listing Jordan Riley as a starter uh, along the defensive line because the Ducks didn't have uh, Pope Wamavai uh, in this game, one of their biggest forces in the interior. So I think those are some of the guys that I would probably uh, focus on from, from a, a starter standpoint. Uh, and then Triquez Bridges got uh, got the start. It looked like over Dante Manning at, at cornerback, um, but both of those guys they played a whole bunch. So I don't really know if if we want to over focus on the starter designation. I don't think, at least for me, that there were really any surprises. It's just I know a lot. Oregon has had to go through a lot of. Or Oregon has had to go through a lot of kind of turn turnover both offensively and defensively so we'll uh we'll see what happens yeah i just didn't see really any many surprises yeah okay cool yeah so we're just getting just wanted to make sure we got to that question because uh try to prioritize the super chats when we get them so thank you for that um let's see what else can we talk about here with uh with the defense 
Um, I think that we saw a lot of rotation um, with the the interior defensive line. I thought Keon where Hudson looked good in his return. He'd been banged up uh, for, for basically the entire offseason and up until fall camp. So I thought it was encouraging to see Keon where Hudson uh, come to play today, and I thought that it was good to see him. But I was a little surprised by uh, how neutralized Brandon Dorless was um, because – he was going to be the guy, I thought. Uh, I remember in the pregame show uh, a couple days ago, or it was just yesterday, I thought that, you know, he was the he was the guy that I was kind of the most confident in really just being a contributor uh, for Oregon in this game and being able to contend with Georgia's size and physicality in the trenches. But they did a really good job. Maybe they schemed for him and game planned for him. Um, but it feels like the, that was definitely a, one of the tougher games for him. So, Liked the rotation there, but uh, I, I thought that um, you know I thought that Brandon Dorless was going to have a bigger impact than he did today. Yeah, I think uh, both him and for a lot of of Warriors, like we don't really they 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 could have like maybe they there'll be some more of the con- contributors later down the line. Yes, but I think kind of like we mentioned earlier, this was a game where it may not have been the best listmas test because Oregon was outclassed from the start by by Georgia. I think uh, even before this game, even for everybody who was saying it's like, Oh, Oregon has a puncher's chance to win. And I'll admit, I was kind of one of those, those people just cause you know, Lanning had such that, that good, that deep knowledge of the George of the Georgia team. But I think at the end of the day, Oregon was still going to was still going to lose, so maybe this wasn't like the biggest, the best litmus test uh, for this Oregon te- for this Oregon team. But I still don't think that excuses them getting quite blown out the way that they did. Yeah, and and I think that that's what was so tough about this one is is just the they just looked like they were outmatched and that they weren't really prepared um, overall. Um, so it's. It's, it's tough to take away too many positives from this game. Um, and, and I think one of the good things, though, like as rough of a game as it was, I think a positive you can take away is that Oregon isn't shying away from big-time matchups. You know, they're not playing – and even Eastern Washington, sure, they're an FCS school, but they're viewed as one of the better FCS schools, and they haven't played FCS-level opponents. And I guess they played Stony Brook last year. So I don't want to disprove my points, but I'm saying like the fact that you're playing and scheduling these really good teams is absolutely something that is healthy for the long-term uh, trajectory of the program. Cause I saw one of my, one, um, one of the seven on seven coaches that uh, I've gotten to meet, he tweeted that it was really good that, you know, West coast teams are still scheduling these sec teams and these top tier teams. Cause the, like the national perception for the PAC 12 cannot get any worse. Like that's just fact. So the only way that you can do that is by obviously taking care of business in your own conference, recruiting your tail off, sending guys to the league. But then also when you have the chance, schedule those guys and see how you stack up and, and if you can beat them. Oregon just found themselves on the wrong end of it this year, but we had a totally different conversation a year ago when they took down Ohio State on the road. So, um, you know, I think that that's a, uh, that's a takeaway for, for this one just as far as, you know, ugly game, but at least Oregon's trying to go out of their way to test themselves with the best players possible, best teams possible. And Landing said as much himself in his uh, uh, press conference on Wednesday, just about, you know, 
we're looking for competition and we're glad that we got uh you know got off to a quick start being able to play the best team in the country i agree with that yeah it's like being able to schedule those those big games and getting the matchups that like people talk people talk about it's like oh what if we see like this team play this team or that that them and them and seeing oregon being able to to do that in three in in two years what was supposed to be three because oregon was supposed to play ohio state twice once at Autzen, once in columbus covid obviously took away the game in Autzen. so oregon played ohio state in columbus last year and then now this year they play the team that ended up being the defending national champions in georgia so it is good to see them like being able to go out and get these these high quality matchups against high quality opponents outside of the Pac-12 because like you said the perception of the Pac-12 is not great um and I think that's putting it lightly it's terrible um but just having Oregon being able to go out and and play against this and play against these level of opponents is good do I think they still have a bit of a ways to go before they can maybe beat another SEC team yes um I, and that's no disrespect to Ohio State. Ohio State is great. Oregon got Oregon was the better team on that day, but still, but still, it's like if if you're a program like Oregon, you have to be playing these big level te- these other big level teams to be able to be taken seriously. And I think that that's the big argument when it comes to also the college football play. It's like, does can any of these Pac-12 teams be able to stack up against these? SEC, these SEC teams, these Big Ten teams. I think earlier, maybe four or five years ago, you would have said yes when Oregon still had someone like Marcus Mariota or even Justin Herbert when utilized correctly. Um, you would say yes, they have a shot, but now maybe not. They do have to build up to that, though, and I think that takes the reps. Got a comment here, a uh, question from Roll the Tape. Uh, Oregon has never been a good team when uh, I think that it's a little relative uh, because the conversation is changing as far as what do you consider a good team? Do you consider winning your conference a good team? Do you consider going to a New Year's Six Bowl a good team? And then a playoff team, that's another category. So I think there's tiers. But I would say uh, up until you know the tail end of last year, Oregon was a pretty good team during the Mario Cristobal era when they were viewed as the, the top team in the Pac-12 that you know, had some back-to-back Pac-12 titles, um, but now we're seeing that it's relative because Oregon's looking to take that next step and see how they measure up against the the Georgias and the Ohio States. Um, so I think that they've been good in recent years, but now that that uh, that measuring stick for good is is definitely increasing. So I think it's relative uh, to what your expectations are. Um, but but yeah, they they they're not where they need to be and they're not where they should be. Um, I think that I've been relatively vocal of even watching in my channel for a while just about uh, how how Oregon's underachieved in, in recent years relative to their recruiting success and relative to their talent on the roster. And a big part of that has been um, subpar QB play. Absolutely. Oregon, it, it depends really for, for Oregon. Like, I think maybe – at this point, at this point, I think in in just in the where we are in college football, I think it's are you making the play? Are you making the playoff? And as of right now, Oregon is technically still one of six teams that's made 
the uh, the college football playoff just because you have so much repeat. But I think also, yes, can you win those New Year's Six? Can you win those New Year's Six Bowls? Can you re- can can you recruit? Oregon has been able to win New Year's Six Bowls in the recent past. They've won a Rose Bowl, um, and they have been to the Fiesta Bowl. Granted, they got smacked around in that Fiesta Bowl by Iowa. Um, or Iowa State, I think it was. It was one of those two. Um, Iowa State. Thank you. Yeah, against Iowa State. But still, they haven't been able – they haven't been able to uh, really make the – they haven't made the playoffs since 2015. Since 2015. And now I think you're starting to look at, it like, are the good teams now headed to, like, the SEC, the Big Ten? That might be getting chipped around a bit with the recent announcement about the college football playoff. But I think we shall see um, within the next probably year or so. Yeah, I have one more question that I want to get to, and then we'll kind of wrap things up, Mark. I know we're past the hour, Mark. Does that work for you? Yep. All right, cool. Uh, Mr. DeWeedy asks, doesn't getting blown out severely hurt recruiting for us? Um, I think that this is a yes and no uh, answer because I think that there's a lot of recruits that were, like me, expecting Oregon to perform better in this game. No question about it. But at the same time, I think that they're still in that conversation. They, they have a good program trajectory. You can't make too much of just one game because I saw some comment that said, you know, like, all right, we're on to next season or like we're talking, we're looking towards next season, but like this isn't a game that Oregon was expected to win. So you kind of have to keep things in perspective. Sure. They did not look nearly as good as a lot of people expected them to, but this wasn't a game that they were expected to win. So I think that recruits probably look at this and, you know, they're going to have some questions for the coaching staff because they got just, you know, outperformed, outclassed in, in every way. Uh, but this is also the, the first game of this coaching staff, and you literally couldn't have chosen a stronger opponent unless you wanted to go against Alabama or, or Ohio State. Uh, and Oregon did that last year. So I still think that Ohio State needs to come to Eugene. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Oregon fans would agree with that. Um, but yeah, I, I hope I'm doing a good job of saying, yes, they needed to do better and it could hurt recruiting, but I don't think it's going to have a drastic impact because they weren't expected to win this game. And because it's just the first game of this coaching staff, this new regime. What do you think, Mark? I agree with, I agree with that. I also do think that Ohio state should come out to, to Eugene to play in Austin with, um, with Rob Owens getting that new contract extension for the next five years. I'm pretty sure he will work to make that happen. But I, but I also agree it is a yes and no thing. Yeah, um, yes, it looks bad because of the fact that this is the defending national champions. This is one of the best teams in the country. You are touted as one of like the biggest brands in, in college football with this recent history of a lot of success. And you get the brakes blown off of you like in, hyster- in, in, in insane fashion. So I think... That looks really that does look bad in the immediate sense, but also, like you said, yes, this does this program still does have a good uh recruiting traject recruiting and kind of team building trajectory. And yes, this was the first game of a new coaching of a new coaching staff. Lenny hasn't it has not had quite the chance yet to bring in his guy to bring in his guys yet. Um, so I think once he starts bringing in his guys, building, building the program, really leaving his stamp on the program, because kind of the big difference between like crystal ball and, um, 
and lane is like Chris Paul had the chance to really stamp the program. He had four he had four years as opposed to say Taggart who had one or Chris or Lanning who this is his first who this is his first year. So once I think Oregon starts really building and I think I think once they start proving proving themselves in Pac-12 play and hopefully getting to New Year's Six Bowls, I think if they make a rose if they make a Rose Bowl this year and can win a can make and potentially win a Rose Bowl, that would be huge for the that would be huge for Lanning just in that first year and also for the program I think going forward. All right, just to give some of my final thoughts here. Um, you know, we're, we're about at an hour now, but we still got some pretty, a pretty good, uh, you know, group in here. So I, I hate to, to cut it too short, but we'll, we'll have more to say about this game for sure. When we can really sit down and digest more of it, but we wanted to get our instant reactions up here on this post game show. Um, I think two things I'll start off with the negative, um, just cause I want to end it on a positive note. Maybe I'm really surprised how manhandled, how like Oregon got manhandled on the defensive line, especially on the interior with. With how much, with how many pieces they brought in uh, in the transfer portal, with like Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers, both who played a significant amount of snaps today, Sam Taimani as well. I was really not expecting them to get worked like that in the trenches uh, on defense. Um, so that was definitely a little bit of a shock to me. But like I said, it's it's only going to get easier. Although BYU is definitely going to be a test physically for this Oregon defensive line and offensive line. Uh, but the other note I was going to say is I, I liked how much the uh, tight ends were involved today. I think all of them actually played. Um, so Patrick Herbert got out there after battling injury. Cam McCormick got out there after battling injury. Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau were both involved. So I thought that was encouraging just to see the tight ends getting more involved. Uh, you know, some multiple tight end sets, uh, which which was good. Um, so overall, just some final thoughts here right off the bat. Uh, definitely a disappointing effort uh, in showing for Oregon, but. Um, you know, the, the bar has been set. You know who you're chasing. You know who you've been chasing. Um, but it's kind of just a, a little bit of a wake-up call again after, especially after, I think it's after winning that game over Ohio State, it feels like a wake-up call. But I think that we might be ta- saying something a lot different if Cristobal didn't leave, just from this fact that maybe maybe they would be able to, that would be a good question for tomorrow. Do we think that they would have been more competitive in this game under Cristobal? Because quarterback play is always, is always the question under Cristobal. And it wasn't really that great today. Um, but we did see more variety, I think, which was something that was encouraging. Um, so I don't want to go too down the rabbit hole there. But uh, rough showing for the Ducks, but uh, only up from here. You've now given me a very good question to think about for to- for tomorrow. So I am going – that that will be a fun one. Um, but I also agree. It's like it was a rough showing for the Ducks. But knowing that um, this was just the start for – so many different pieces, the coaching staff, the quarterback for a lot of these guys, you know, this is the start. And yeah, it really can only go up from here. I do think, yeah, BYU is kind of like that last, uh, that last, um, or, sorry, lost my train of thought there. Um, I think BYU will be that kind of like that last big, um, that big test before, before Oregon starts Pac-12. Pac-12 play, so I think maybe having a little bit of time to kind of, so I guess yeah, to to go back to Eugene, lick the wounds, start out or kind of start rebuilding again or start building up again, and then once I think they hit BYU and then get into Pac-12 play, I think we'll start really seeing what this team 
is made is made out of not counting out Eastern Washington because as we know any given Saturday or Sunday um, but we'll see in the next couple of weeks I think how this team does all right well uh, that'll do it for our uh, episode today post game show the Ducks Dish podcast Oregon loses their season opener 49 to 3 to the Georgia Bulldogs um, but uh, yeah just wanted to get on here and get our thoughts out there uh, that's Mark Wang. You can follow him on Twitter at MarkW2016. And he's also going to have some stories coming out over on Ducks Digest, some written stories. You can follow me on Twitter at MTorisSports. And uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus on YouTube. If you guys are here in the live chat, do me a huge quick favor. Smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, and share the Ducks Dish podcast with your friends, family, and other Duck fans. Uh, really want to give a big shout out to everybody that was here in the chat. Uh, As you can see, we have a pretty strong community here at the Ducks Dish Podcast. So big thank you to everyone who stopped by. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.